Hi, I'm Chris McBrien, a Gen Xer, and the pop culture from my generation is awesome. And I'm Yance Eaton, a millennial, and the pop culture from my generation is dope. Episode 78, Bands That Should Have Been Bigger. Chris McBrien, that's Yancey Eaton, and this is Pop Goes Your World. I'm wondering if you have ever had a band that you liked or ever wondered, why wasn't that band ever bigger than it ever was? Like, this band should have been bigger than they they were. Why weren't they bigger? If you ever wondered that, boy, this is the podcast for you, because we're going to dig into that tonight, and we're going to actually take a look at it from a different generational perspective. Gen X, me, obviously, and Yancey's going to cover the millennials on this, and we're going to come up with a list of bands that we think should have been bigger than they were. But before we get to that, Yancey, how are you, my friend? It's been a little while. It has been a little while. Um, my apologies to the listeners. It's uh, I've said this before in the past, guys. Every time we have like these uh, prolonged absences where we don't record a podcast, it is literally always my fault. <laughs> my schedule is not conducive to having a, a consistent recording schedule, and I apologize for that. Um, I try to do better, but sometimes things just happen that are completely out of my control but um i really do appreciate you know chris's flexibility and all of you guys who still stick around and still download and uh yeah that's all i really have to say no Not a whole no lot yancy, yancy no it. yancy no we were on holidays that's all we were taking some holidays on holiday we're, back, we're entitled back, to holidays back. you know <laughs> it's all good anything new uh in the world of uh pop culture for you uh in pop culture no um haven't really listened to a lot of music haven't really gone to the movies in a while um just trying to get my life in order um professionally and personally um i know this sounds super boring this is like the most uh dry intro that we've done but um why don't you talk about yourself for a little bit man what's new with you i haven't talked to you in forever uh okay so a couple things so my wife and i celebrated our 10th anniversary so we decided to go out and uh, and thank you and we decided to celebrate by going to a concert so we went to see brian adams i just like to mention the last time that i mentioned brian adams on this podcast yancy you said oh i know that guy he's the guy that did the taylor swift cover album no that was Ryan Adams. Ryan Adams. I'm talking yes. about Brian Adams. He's Canadian, and, but he's and, an international superstar. Um, but no, we a went good, to see a him. good friend of ours actually did call me that out on Twitter. Patrick, <laughs> uh, he he was all over that like the ah, next morning. Awesome. The podcast had only been posted for a few hours, and he had already sent me a tweet the next morning to just to clarify. So thank you nice, for that. Nice. So so we went to see Brian Adams. Couple things really struck me. You know, being there, seeing Brian Adams in concert, and just you know for two hours I'm doing all of his songs first of all it, it, it amazed me seeing it all together just the breadth of his work how many songs that guy has had like just great song after great song after great song he's been putting out hits for years and so that kind of struck me that was I would say there was three things that I sort of took away that was one just the breadth of his work number two and I always knew this but there's so much guitar in his music that I don't think people really appreciate like some of the intros and stuff like there's a lot of great guitar going on in Brian Adams' music. And the cool thing was, his guitar player that he had with him has been with him since day one. He's still with him, so he's just oh, he's so good. And so the third thing that really struck me about the concert was I don't, I think Brian Adams doesn't get his due in terms of his vocals. So he has very unique vocals. He's got that raspy kind of voice that's very unique. You walk by, you hear him sing, and you know it's him right away. But the thing that I think is lost in everything, and it really struck me seeing him live, is he has incredible vocal ability. Like, his vocals are unbelievably good. Sharp, crisp, you know, perfectly, like, in tune, like, the pitch perfect, like, strong. Like, man, oh, man, has that guy got some killer vocals that I don't think he gets the credit for. So, all in all, Brian Adams was fantastic. Uh, You know Brian Adams' work, I'm assuming. Not Ryan Adams, but Brian Adams, right, Yancey? You know what? Brian Adams is like the, the perfect example of I've always known of him, but I've never really devoted a ton of time to listening to him. And down here, it's you know, even if I'm listening to like a classic rock station or like a like an older alternative rock or in, any type of station that plays older music like that, you don't really hear a lot of his stuff on the radio. So, um, like I said, I know of him. If I heard a song on the radio, I would just recognize his voice. Like you said, it is pretty. It's pretty synonymous with him. Like I bet he you, has like Nancy, his sound. But yeah, I bet you any money, I could play twenty Brian Adams songs for you in succession, and each one of them you go, oh yeah, I know that. Oh yeah, I know, yeah, I know that. Sure. Oh, I've heard that before. 
you know, because he's done duets with all kinds of people, Tina Turner and like, you know, whatever, Mel C or whoever she is from the, the, the Spice Girls. He's done tons of stuff. Like, I think you would know a lot of his stuff, but it was really good. Another thing I wanted to mention as a millennial type thing, two millennial type things. My son wanted to go see a movie the other day, so we went to see Teen Titans Go. So I went with him. I had never seen this TV show. He watches it all the time. I didn't even know what it was. So I went to see this movie. It was actually really good. I was actually surprised for a kid's animated movie. It was sharp. It was witty. It was funny. It was unbelievably visual. It was, I was. I thought it was really good. And the other thing, I don't know um, if you've ever seen this show. You know me, I'm always looking to to watch a new show. So my wife and I are like, what's a new show we can like binge watch on, you know, on Netflix. I wanted to go back and watch Happy Days from the beginning. Of course, you know, I got vetoed. She didn't want to do that. So instead we watched, we started watching Homeland. Have you ever seen that show? Um, I have not, Chris. Oh, Definitely heard of it though. Oh my God, it's so good. We just finished season one. Anybody out there, tweet at me, at C. McBride, and we'll talk about Homeland, but don't give me any spoilers. It is so, so good, Yancey. Anybody else, like I said, wants to get in touch with us, you can reach me uh, on, on Twitter, at C. McBride. You can reach Yancey, at Yancey Eaton. But for now, Yancey, it's time we get into this week's topic. So as I mentioned off the top, we're going to talk tonight about bands that we think should have been bigger. They, I, For whatever reason, they just didn't quite break into the mainstream and, and get as big as we thought they should be. So are you ready to get started? I, I am ready. Let's hit it. Uh, like, do millennials write in each other's, like, school yearbooks? Do you even have yes. yearbooks? You think we're, like, monsters or something? Yes, of course. Oh, man, you smell like fish heads. I can't remember. I don't know if it's A sharp or B flat. Kids suck. Young prepubescent boys. I'll show you a tremor. That's my mom's favorite piece. She's a mama. She's mama for deli. I'm basically a, sub- like, you know, a celebrity and uh, kind of a big deal. <laughs> Holy sh**. Okay, Yancey, I'm going to let you get things started. I, I, but before we do, we're going to go. We're gonna, we'll do a top five list. So we'll start at five and go to one. I want your top five bands that you think should have been bigger than they were for whatever reason. And explain your reasoning. I will give you a warning, though. My list is going to have a bit of a Canadian feel to it. And um, okay, and and speaking, I'll allow it. And, and speaking of Canadian bands, I just want to get something right <laughs> right out of the way off the top. And it there's a band called the Tragically Hip. Have you ever heard of them? Of course. Okay, so you know the Tragically Hip. So in Canada, it's yes. like it's like the, the biggest. They're like the biggest thing ever, right? You know, like Tragically Hip, Tragically Hip, Tragically Hip. You know, Gord Downey just passed away recently. You know, the lead singer. So it's like this big deal. Yep. You know, Tragically. I, I got. I'm just gonna come out because I know I'm gonna get hate mail. I'm gonna get people emailing me and wondering why the Tragically Hip isn't on my list. Because one of the things in Canada that people have always said is, why isn't the hip bigger in the states? We don't understand why the hip hasn't got bigger in the states. I never liked the Tragically Hip. Never liked them. From when they first came out in the late 80s, I remember hearing them. A buddy of mine was like, oh, I was in a band. And they're like, he plays this hip song. He's like, we got to play this song. I'm like, I don't like it. And I haven't liked them ever since. I'm not a hip fan. I know I, people, friends of mine on social media have called me un-Canadian for not liking the hip. But I just don't like them. So unfortunately, they didn't make my list. So, But you've heard of them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean... Concerning the fact that you are a Canadian, Chris, I would I would say that's borderline blasphemous that mm. you would disown one of your own. I mean, Canada's not, not a small dis- country. Not, not, that not that I'm disowning them. I just I just don't care for their music. I just it just doesn't yeah. just doesn't do it for me. I just don't like their music. So it's not like I I'm being un-Canadian or like I hate them or anything. I just don't like their music. I mean, that's fair. Um, the the point I was going to say though is like you know Canada has what thirty five million people, thirty million people, something like that. You guys. Are- one-tenth the size of the United States. So there are a lot less artists that come from Canada. I think you guys have a disproportionate amount of good musicians and actors and comedians and writers. Like, um, proportionally speaking, you guys actually put out, like, a lot of really good pop culture. Um, yes, we do. Music, music is one of those areas where, like, I feel like um, there's probably a lot more good music there than gets discovered that gets credit for it. And yes, everybody and always jumps to, uh, Yes, like, and we're going to get into that tonight. Trust me. Yeah. Because I've got well, some, I got some bands that I think that are, that are really, really good that should have been bigger. Okay. Um. So you want me to jump into my number five? Uh. Yeah. If you want, to, why don't you start us off with your number five, and we'll go back and forth. So your number five band that should have been bigger, and why? Yancey, go. Okay. So you were talking about how like I'm going to bring a millennial slant to this. Uh, this first one, actually, a couple of these picks are older bands, surprisingly. Um. Just because of the fact that a lot cool. of millennial bands or bands that I grew up with are either still touring or they don't still have like a long enough you know they don't they don't have enough work out there to really i don't know kind of make a judgment on them they're still in 
kind of like in process of making music and establishing their legacy. Uh, so one I want to talk about is the Velvet Underground, which um, Ooh, maybe yeah, might surprise a good you. Good one. <laughs> good one. Um, yeah. So the Velvet Underground obviously was, I don't know if you can call it a super group. Um, looking back now, when you look at like the the course of every every uh, musician's career as a whole, um, obviously had Lou Reed. It had John Cale, Sterling Morrison, and Angus McLeese. I think I'm saying that correctly. He was replaced. Um, uh, very very early on in the band um it was one of those bands where their sound was so different um there were so many different elements of like new wave and punk music um that had never been implemented before and whenever their first album came out um it was fronted by uh, like some model guy nico who um i don't think he was in any of their other their other works but what was really crazy about it was um the album basically flopped it didn't sell well uh Critically, it was not acclaimed at all. Very few radio stations picked it up. Um, it was just kind of like a an unloved, forgotten project. Um, but over the years, while the band was on hiatus for like you know six or seven years in the mid to late '60s through the early '70s, um, they started getting like this, no no pun intended, but like this underground following where um, you know very few people listened to the Velvet Underground. But famously, like the quote that um, a lot of you know Lou Reed followers and stuff have mentioned that. Um, if you listen to the Velvet Underground, you basically became a guitar player. Like this was the type of band that turned so many people on to wanting to be mu- musicians themselves and especially guitar players. Um, it is just like the most prophetic type of rock music that was so far ahead of its time where they were completely doing their own thing and literally establishing a specific genre of music or a wide scope genre of music. They pushed so much that... Um, for as, as few albums as they had, I think they have five or six studio albums. They've had multiple re-releases that have come out within like the last 10 years. Um, if you look on, on Pitchfork, almost all of them have either you know really high 9 out of 10 scores or perfect 10s. We're talking about actual like classic rock masterpieces, you know, like the earliest forms of punk rock that we've ever seen. And you know, one of the most influential bands, despite the fact that, you know, they don't have 20 studio albums or, you know, they didn't tour and record for 30 or 40 years like the Rolling Stones or, you know, some of the other bands. Um, I think that what they were able to accomplish on such a small discography and how much influence they had on, you know, musicians for the next 30 years, um, they probably could be number one on this list. But uh, I saw them at number five. So it's the Velvet Underground. Oh, that's a good one. And Walk on the Wild Side, was that Lou Reed by himself or was that with the Velvet Underground? I'm that was I'm 95% sure that that was Lou Reed by himself. Yeah. Oh, man, that's a, that's a good one. I'm surprised you did that. Okay, I want to give an honorable yes. mention before I get into my list. I mention this band all the time on this show, and that's Triumph. They're a Canadian band, too. And <laughs> and I, I I always thought that Triumph should have been bigger than they were. But, but I need to get your perspective on this. Like, was Triumph big in the States? Like, did you, you've heard of them? You know them? You know their music? Or you just a band that you just kind of heard of because I talk about them? Um, I, I've heard them a couple of times. Um, they're 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 kind of easy to pick out, like we talked about with like Brian Adams. Um, just because I grew up with so much classic rock, I think I was subjected to them. I don't want to say subjected; that that kind of has a, a it sounds like a dirty word, but um, I was exposed to them. I guess you could say a little that bit more. Sounds than dirtier. Probably... <laughs> Touche. Well played. Um, so like I, I heard them. They were never big, to be honest with you. They're just kind of like a you know like a a, a tertiary or like a you know like a third or fourth string band kind of. I know that sounds a little mean, but um, not a ton of hits that that really made it over here kind of like a really niche rock band like another classic example of i knew of them but couldn't really name you know half a dozen songs if i tried chris okay anyway i just want to mention because they're not on my list like i'm going to get into other ones but uh did want to mention them okay so my number five (laughs) okay we've mentioned one hit wonders before we did a whole episode back on episode 16 on one hit wonders and this was one guy that came out and and his name was henry lee summer i don't know if you heard of him or you ever heard of him yancey no, sir. No. He, so he came out with this song. And I mean, we mentioned one hit wonders before. And the thing that got me about him was how did he not become a one hit wonder? And so that's why I wanted to mention him because he had this one hit. He had one song, but the song was so good. I'm like, when he had that song came out, I was like, this guy's going to be like the biggest one hit wonder that ever lived. And it just didn't happen for whatever reason. I don't know why. So he didn't even become a one hit wonder. But in the summer of 1987, Yancey, Yancey, you weren't even born then for crying out loud. So this guy, Henry Lee Summer came out. He, he had this like horrible mullet and he, he had this song that I just loved. And he released this song called I Wish I Had a Girl. Yancey, you can find it on YouTube. Okay. And I just felt right from the opening guitar in it, it was just one of the 
catchiest and most energetic songs I have ever heard in my life. I thought it was going to be one of the biggest songs ever. And of course, it didn't become that. It, it never went higher than number 20 on the Billboard charts. And like, I, I never really felt that Henry Lee Summer would go on to an illustrious career or anything. I mean, like I say, I, I felt he would just become this massive one-hit wonder. But even that just didn't happen. So, I, I don't know. I, I remember I tried to get this song on iTunes, and I couldn't even find it. Like, I think there was a live version, but I didn't find a studio version. I always thought Henry Lee Summer was going to be bigger than he was. It just didn't happen for the guy. Um, he ended up getting into a lot of trouble with the law, like for alcohol and drugs. He's still playing gigs around his hometown back in Indiana, but he just never broke through the way I thought he would when I first heard that song. So number five on my list, Henry Lee Summer. On to your number four, Yancey. Man, these are these are niche. These <laughs> are know. really niche. It's a lot of fun to go <laughs> back in time to these guys. Honestly, I, I thought I was going to name some bands that, um, you know, like you, you maybe had heard of, but didn't really know very well. But um, I get a feeling like this is there's more to come of this where I've literally never heard of these people before. So which <laughs> is fine. I, I actually love yeah. that. You know? um, OK, so number four for me yes. is a band that um, I will admit that I, I didn't grow up with. OK, so this was a band that I found uh, maybe two or three years removed from high school. Okay. Um, I just happened to stumble upon them and immediately became obsessed with their entire discography. Um, they formed in the early 80s, I think 1981. Let me check my notes. Yeah, 1981 in New York City. Okay. Uh, the founding members were Thurston Moore, Kim Gordon and Lee Ronaldo. Uh, the three of them remained together for the entire history of the band. And then they, I think, replaced a drummer once or twice uh, in the latter years of the band's um you know, the run that they had, they just recently broke up a couple of years ago um, for a long-term hiatus. I don't know if they're going to get back together, um, but the band is Sonic Youth. Uh, Chris, are you familiar with the works of Sonic Youth at I, all? I have heard of Sonic Youth, yes. Okay, have heard of them. Have you listened to them or just are you I, familiar with the name? I'm familiar with the name. I think in passing, I think if I heard some of their songs, I would know them a bit more, but it was mm -hmm. never something that I really got into. It was it was a little bit more like, was it was it New Wave or like what were they kind of – um, yeah, so New Wave, I think it's kind of interesting. Like this is um, actually they, they were like the pioneers of the No Wave movement, which is like um, it's basically New Wave, but it's a lot more um, uh, almost like shoegaze. It's a lot more, uh, you know, just metallic and grinding and um, atmospheric sounds and getting all types of different sounds that come out of your guitar. And um, so kind of like the same thing. Um, What's really crazy about Sonic Youth is that they do have like something like 16 or 17 studio albums. Um, some of theirs are some of the most critically acclaimed indie rock albums of the last you know, 20, 25 years. Daydream Nation, especially the deluxe edition that came out a few years ago, um, is uh, Pitchfork gives it a perfect 10 out of 10. It is an absolutely fantastic album. Um, I mean, I could really point you to anything. Like one of the things, the, the criteria that I was looking for whenever I was making this list, because I had a I, initially I had a list of like 30 bands, and it was really really hard for me because you know just trying to decide who makes the list and not. Um, this is one of those bands where they had longevity. They were around for a really long time. They consistently put out quality material. So as their style changed, as you know, just the progression of the band changed and, and morphed into something else, or, or or backtracked and revisited old tropes that they used to you know touch on, or instrumentations, or you know just the way that their albums were mixed. You know, this is a band that went through I think six different uh, record labels at one point. Um, very little lineup changes, but um, just sonically they were so different in every single album so many different sounds uh lyrically just incredibly specific weird scenarios that they they would bring into their songs um like i, I really don't know what else to say other than the fact that like this is one of those bands where never really got a uh you know they, they never charted super high on the billboard top 200 um this wasn't like a huge commercial success as most indie rock isn't you know it's never really going to um, you know, top the charts that I don't think they have a single number one hit in the history of the band. Um, that's not what this type of music is. You know, it's for, you know, the indie kids, the skater kids, um, this kind of ushered in, like, like you said, new wave, no wave, punk, avant-garde, uh, just like kind of like art, dad, rock, almost um, just really influential band that never got a lot of credit. Um, this is the band that people who really, really get into the weeds as far as liking music, I think kind of gravitate towards. Um, if you put, them up on like the indie rock or if there were an indie rock mount rushmore chris i think sonic youth would be on it which is kind of weird talking about them you know so highly because like i said i, I don't think very many people have actually heard their music before not the type of band you'd see get a lot of play but um some of the coolest album covers you'll ever see every single album cover is completely different 
Uh, every theme to every album is completely different. It's just a really cool, creative band that has never gotten the respect they deserve. So Sonic Youth is my go. number four, and they definitely deserve to be higher. Oh, that's good. I like that one. Okay, um, so my number four, I mentioned I'm going to do some Canadian bands. So here's one. So there's a band that back in the 80s that was called The Jitters. And I don't know. I They came out in like 1987, and they had the, these two songs. They had this one song, called, and they're both available on YouTube, so you can look them up, Yancey. There was one song called Closer Every Day, and then they had their really big song called Last of the Red Hot Fools. And I, I don't know. I just thought, man, oh, man, this is a good band. They got some great music. Like, they're, I don't know. It's catchy, well-written. I just, I really liked them a lot. And then in, so they came out in 87, and then in 1988, they played a concert in my hometown of Port Elgin, Ontario. So I, I'm from a really small town in Ontario. There's like 7,000 people there. So the fact that the Jitters were coming to my hometown to play, I was just ecstatic. Like, I was so excited to go see them play because I love those guys, right? So I went, I just rushed out. I got my tickets. I went to the local re- arena. I, and, you know, I was just so excited. And I ran in there and I got into the arena. And it was basically the Jitters and me. There was like nobody came out for the show. And Aww, like, I'm number like, one fan, <laughs> I'm like, this is like a town like where nobody came to play in this town. I mean, hell, I remember earlier that summer wrestling came to our town and the headliner in the main event was Johnny K9. And he was like the lowest of the low jobbers in the WWF. And even the fact that such a minor wrestling celebrity like him came to our town, the arena was packed for the event. People were lined up around the corner to go see Johnny K9. But the jitters come, crickets. I tell you, I just don't understand. I had my wife go on YouTube and watch the videos for their two songs, and she immediately recognized Last of the Red Hot Fools. She's like, oh, I've heard of them. I know I, I know that band. But you know what? They just never really found a following outside of me, I guess. They never made it big, and then they broke up in 1991. But my number four is The Jitters. All right, so to recap, guys, we had Brian Adams at number five. What was number <laughs> no, no, four? No. What was... no, no, no. Henry Lee Summer was number five. I went to see Brian Henry, Adams. Henry, Henry Lee Summer. Brian Adams doesn't make the list. He made it big. He's an international superstar, so he is oh, big. Sorry. He's fine. Henry Lee Summer, and then you have the Jitters. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the Jitters. Honestly, a low-key, super cool name. The Jitters. Yeah, like and that's... It's, it's, these are personal ones for me. That's what I felt like when we came up with the idea for this show. I'm like, I got to come up with bands that are personal to me that I think should have been bigger than they were. And that's where I'm going with. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this next artist, I think it's going to be a little bit of a surprise to you, Chris. Um, I don't really talk about him that much. He was born June 7th, 1958, and he passed away in April 21st of 2016. He was a singer, songwriter, musician, record producer, and filmmaker, and he was born in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Do you know who I'm talking about? You're not talking about (laughs) Prince. I'm talking about Prince. But Prince was bigger. He was like huge. That's what that doesn't even fit the. But hear me out. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I have. I'm going somewhere with this. Okay. I'm going somewhere with this. I'm dying to know. So I was really struggling to make sure that this list wasn't just a top five of, hey, let's talk about the same bands or acts that Yancey always talks about, his personal favorite top five, okay? Um, and I was thinking about this, and like I said, I had a list of 25, 30 different bands, and you know, just to cheat, I, I made this Prince and the Revolution so we can actually say that it is his band and not just Prince as himself. Um, but let, let's just take, take this for instance, okay? How many studio albums do you think Prince has? Oh, I don't know, maybe a dozen? Um, it's a little bit more than that. Uh, I think tw- you can guess. Uh, 20? Uh, 39. Wow. Holy smokes. <laughs> and that's just that. the ones that were actually released. So obviously he has a lot more that have been vaulted that the estate is fighting over and that will probably subsequently release over the next couple of years. So 39 studio albums. Do you know how many number one singles Prince had in his career? Oh, I bet he had like three. Really good guess. He actually had five. Okay. Um, you can probably guess three of them. I would say like little, little Red Corvette, Purple Rain, When Doves Cry, Let's Go Crazy, and the Batman song. So When Doves Cry was one, Kiss, Let's Go Crazy, Cream, which is one of the later ones, and Bat Dance from the Batman soundtrack, yeah. which, by the way, has one of the craziest, weirdest music videos of all time. It's actually back up on YouTube. It has a couple million views. Um, hopefully they don't pull it again but go check that out if you guys can so the point i'm trying to make here is while prince sold over 100 million records worldwide um you would think somebody that had such a long illustrious career like i said 39 studio albums 
hundreds and hundreds of songs. He wrote songs for multiple artists. He toured forever. Um, I mean, this was a guy that was into funk and R&B and new wave. He did probably and probably sorry, probably the greatest guitar player that ever lived too. Legitimately the greatest yeah. guitar player that ever lived, right? Can play every single instrument. Um, was just an absolutely musical savant from the time he was, you know, 13, 14 years old. Um, this is a guy with all the talent in the world. And I think just because of the timeline and when he came up, he was always overshadowed by one person. And it's pretty easy, you know, it's easy to, to know who that was. And it's Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson which yeah. if, if anybody is being compared to Michael Jackson, I think you're going to fall short. Had Prince been, you know, 10 years earlier or 10 years later, I think the general public as a whole would have talked about Prince in a completely different light. He would have been heralded much, much higher than he is now. And, you know, it is kind of hard. It's like, you know, how people... Um, you know how people say like, oh, man, I feel so bad for this professional baseball player. He got hurt or this football player. And you're like, what are you feeling sorry for? Like, you know, uh, you know, most people make twenty five thousand dollars a year and they have to work you know, super hard. This guy is a millionaire. It's kind of hard to feel sorry for him. So I understand that, like with that caveat being the fact that like he did die incredibly famous and successful and, you know, basically got anything he could ever possibly want i still don't feel like people really grasp just how talented and creative and eclectic his music was uh simply because he was such an original he was such a character um you know just like his personality and the way he acted you know the androgyny of 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 how he acted and presented himself i think turned a lot of people off and he was kind of ahead of his time in that regard so he was pushing forward like what is socially acceptable and um just the fact that he was so flamboyant and had such a presence about him um um, it, it overshadowed who he was as a musician. You know what I mean? Um, and I, I honestly think that's, I, I think that's a travesty. Um, so when it comes to people like this who are genuinely, genuinely gifted and genius at something, uh, especially something that I hold in such high regard as music, I just have to give him another due. Um, Prince should have had more than five number ones. I'll, I'll say that. Um, he should have sold 500 million records. He should have been Michael Jackson. Um, you know, this is a guy that arranged and composed, you know, most of all of his albums. There are full albums where he recorded every single instrument, you know, from the guitar down to the, the tambourine. You know what I mean? Like, um, I, I can't say this enough. I know every couple episodes I do a, I do a whole spiel on Prince, but um, man, did not get the respect he deserved, and uh, I miss him. So, what's your next one, Chris? Okay, so I just want to counteract this for a second. So, a couple a couple comments I want to make on Prince here from when your pick. So, first of all, I, I get where you're taking this, and I appreciate where you're taking this with in terms mm-hmm. of Prince. That you know, he he. I think he, in some ways, hard to believe he was actually underappreciated, especially, like I say, as a guitar player, even just as a, as a musician overall. Yeah, OK, I get it. But here's the thing. Let's put things in perspective. Um, you just you know, mentioned um, uh, an artist who sold 100 million records. And my last one that I mentioned was a band that couldn't get 20 people at the Port Elgin Arena to come and see them. So it's a little bit of a different perspective. But, and no, but no offense, though. But yeah. no offense. Our... Uh, from a talent and creativity standpoint, are they even in the same arena? Like, No, they're not. And Prince got his due, I think. But here's the thing. So here's what I will say. I think there's a few people that were that surrounded Prince that didn't get their due, that should have been bigger than they were. Two were in his band and one was a rival. Okay? I will say, I think Lisa and Wendy should have been bigger and more popular than they were. I thought they were incredibly talented musicians i hope you agree with me and i think they should have been bigger and more famous Mm -hmm. and the other one that i'll mention is his rival and that's morris day and the time their song jungle love is awesome and it was like it was like energetic and like watching them on stage with the suits and like bouncing their shoulders side to side like those guys should have been bigger than they were too because i remember even in the movie in purple rain they were like their arch rivals and they were just as good as him in that movie like on stage at least as a as a presence as a stage presence as performers so i would say that those guys um should have been bigger than they were any thoughts on well those? i mean i i i, I mean I, I guess so but like you know prince literally played all the other instruments on that morris day album like you know this right <laughs> like yeah yep. like he, he produced it he he played almost everything except for like a couple of the guitar tracks on it but like um like that was i, I wouldn't even call them a rival that was somebody that um like he like propped up that was like one of his like protégés you know as you know as much as i talk about prince like it can't be said enough like how much he had a hand in developing other people's careers especially like you know females you know and you know back in the early 80s they didn't really have a voice in in rock and roll or punk or R&B. Like it was it was much less than it is now. And like Morris Day in the time, like, yeah, I, I agree. They were they were pretty, you know, they were pretty inventive. They're pretty creative. But I, I don't know if they 
should have been that much bigger. You know what I mean? Like again, like we're we're, we're comparing. To me, it's like we're comparing like um, you know the GDP of the United States to like I don't know. Name name some random like Turks and Caicos or something. You know what I mean? Like the disparity in talent and the Ivory Coast. Me. Yeah, the Ivory Coast or something. You know, um, Monaco or something. Exactly. You know, but I don't know. Um, we're we're quibbling at this point, but um, I, I do see what you're saying. It is kind of weird. And normally, like I always take the side of the underdog. Where like I like to prop up like the you know like the the unheralded, the unfamous, the unrich. Um, uh, Prince is definitely an exception, though. Kind of hard to, yeah. to make the case that somebody's underrated when they did sell over 100 million mm-hmm. records, but I digress. Okay, it's all good. So my number three I'm going to go with is another Canadian. It's David Wilcox. Okay, so I know in the States, I believe, Yancey, you guys have a David Wilcox, too. He's like a folk singer or something like that. I don't know. But in Canada, we have David Wilcox, and David Wilcox is, oh, my God. I, how do I even explain him? I have been a David Wilcox fan since I was a kid. Um, he is one of the most unique and bizarre musicians I've ever seen. On stage, he's almost manic. Like, his eyes are rolling back in his head. He's, like, flipping all around and playing the guitar. And he's, like, odd. But he is unbelievably eclectic and, and extremely underrated. So his music, the problem is, I think, is that music, when it comes to music, we need to find labels. And, and we need to label people. Like, oh, you're rock. You know, you're folk, your blues, your whatever, jazz, your rap, whatever. And David Wilcox doesn't fit into any of those. He's kind of bluesy rock, but he doesn't, when it comes to guitar, he doesn't play any power chords. He uses a lot of slide, a lot of blues notes. Like he's very odd. His, his, um, even a lot of his intros and his licks into his songs are usually like weird arpeggios. Like it's just, it's weird, weird, weird stuff that he does. And he does a little bit of 12 bar blues in there too. So he's just odd. And I think people don't know where to classify him, but I've seen David Wilcox in concert numerous times up here in Canada. And the thing that's funny is too, is even when I talk to other Canadians, I'm like, David Wilcox, they're like, yeah, I kind of know him, whatever. And then I go to the concert, and when he plays his song Riverboat Fantasy, every single person in the place is singing along to it. They know every single word to it. Everybody knows, you know, but he just never really broke out. He went, didn't, never got popular in the States. Um, I know he had some issues with cancer and things like that, you know, and, and a lot of substance abuse, which he's, you know, kind of battled his demons and he's still out touring now. Um, I was lucky enough to organize a concert back in 2003 and, um, and it was in my hometown of Port Elgin and we were raising money for the, the town and all this stuff. And I was able to get David Wilcox to come and play. So I was able to meet him backstage and talk to him and organize the event. And it was a big, big thrill for me because he'd always been a, a big influence on me. And he was one of the reasons I wanted to pick up a guitar in the first place as a kid so being able to meet him was was influential but i just always felt that he should have been bigger than he was and he just never really broke through to the mainstream so david wilcox Mm -hmm. is my number three i love the the personal connection there like yeah you actually got to meet somebody yeah that's great and i got to tell him i got to tell him i said i'll never get that opportunity yeah i I, and that's the first thing i said to him i says you are the reason i picked up a guitar you know, and the cool thing was there was one other person in the world that made me want to pick up a guitar when I was a kid, and that was Rick Emmett, and I got to meet him once and tell him that too. So I've been very, very lucky, I guess. But anyway, uh, on to your number two. Uh, so my number two is uh, another uh, another indie rock band. Um, this is one of those bands that never uh, broke through, I guess you could say. Uh, probably one of their most shining moments where they got the most notoriety was actually the fact that they made a movie soundtrack. And uh, some of my friends listening to this know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, it's the Fight Club soundtrack, and the song is Where Is My Mind? It's the Pixies. Uh, the Pixies were formed in the mid-'80s. I can't remember the exact year. But this is one of those bands where um, they – they're more influential than how famous they are would suggest where uh, like the velvet underground this is kind of a you know a similar thing between the two of them um, their styles are so expansive and between album to album there's just so many different references that they draw on while also doing stuff that's completely different and never been seen before in an album um, you know they're all they're alternative rock they're noise pop they're surf rock they're you know just pure indie rock they're hard rock um, all these different subgenres of rock and roll music, Chris, I know that you're pretty familiar with most of them. Um, they implement all of those. And like I said, from track to track or album to album, they switch it up constantly. And just such a unique sound that the, the vocals in these are amazing. Um, 
I, I think if I had to go by some of my favorite albums of all time, um, they don't have a huge discography just like a, like a Prince does. Um, but if you guys get a chance and you've never actually listened to a Pixies album from end to end, uh, check out Bossa Nova. Check out probably Doolittle, Surfer Rosa. Um, Doolittle is probably their masterpiece. It came out in 1989 that a lot of people reference. Um, this is just one of those bands where never really got any number ones. Uh, if you look on like their Billboard Top 200, they never, you know, debuted in the top 10. Uh, never, ne- never really making a ton of money on just raw album sales. But they do have that cult following and have always toured well. Just because this is a type of band where the live experience is so much more powerful than just listening to them on the radio. Um, even nowadays, like it's it's rare that you'll hear any of their songs on, you know, just like a, a, a classic rock station or any type of alternative rock station at all. That's not really the type of thing that you see a lot of radio play on. Um, I remember some of their songs have been on like Guitar Hero and Rock Band. And uh, I wouldn't say that that's how I would discover them, but it made a lot of my social circle a lot more aware of them um, just by the fact that they were in the game and uh, like waves of mutilation. That's like one of the classic songs that you can find like a guitar hero or um, uh, it's just weird that like they have songs where the music itself and the body of work and these albums that they put out was so strong and it should have been enough to stand on its own laurels and not have to have that outside promotion. But sadly it was, like I said, like the guitar heroes, the, the video game stuff, the, the fight club soundtrack, that was kind of what had to like thrust them into these people's homes and get people to actually start listening to them. Um, it's just one of those bands that's been criminally underlooked. Uh, they were on Letterman years and years ago. And even David Letterman, who, uh, you know this, Chris, is actually pretty into music, um, mm-hmm. surprising, like listens to a dearth of music. Um, I think I'm using the word dearth incorrectly there. Uh, but <laughs> he listens to a lot of music and like he even introduced him as like a very, very influential rock band talking about how you know, like th- this is a band that other bands talk about, that other bands reference, and the general public has never really been on. So uh, they have a super cool sound, um, just all over the place as far as range and <laughs> songs to songs sound completely different. So check them out. Probably spend a little bit of time on uh, on, on Doolittle and just uh, just enjoy it. To be honest with you, I think it's such a cool band, criminally underrated, and that's my number two, The Pixies. I like that. That's a good one because when you think of that '90s alternative rock. You know, time you think of like Nirvana always, you know, kind of comes to mind, yep. right? But I think the Pixies yep. were just as influential as uh, as Nirvana was, but they never really got their due. That's a good one. I like them. Okay, my number two. Uh, this is another Canadian one. I always loved this band, Honeymoon Suite. Have you ever heard of the Beyonce? I have not. Chris. Okay, so there's this band, Honeymoon Suite, and they came out in the '80s, and it was just just like Brian Adams. They had song after song after song after. It was good, like well-written, good melodies, like really good bridges, good hooks, like good guitar, great vocals, you know, keyboards. They had, they, they were just, they were as, like when I think of the 80s, I, and I, you know, I, and I lived through the 80s and I think of a lot of bands that kind of make me feel like, you know, remember the 80s, and stuff, but Honeymoon Suite takes me back. And I don't know why they just never pushed through and, and I just don't get it. They had song after song after song. They even um, it, you know, when they were kind of, you know, at their height, they even um, were called upon to, to write a song for a for a movie that would, became a really, really big movie. And that's Lethal Weapon. You know, Lethal Weapon. I'm not talking about that remake crap that they made recently, I think, or whatever they did on. But the one like, you know, from the 80s with like, you know, uh, Danny Glover and um, and Mel Gibson. Right. They did yep. the, the, the final the song for that movie that, you know, played in the credits. Right. Um these guys, they were just so, so good. So right after I met my my wife, when she was still my girlfriend, she's my wife now, um, at the time I said, you know what, I want to go for go to a concert. And she's like, okay, uh, where do you want to go? I said, let's go see Honeymoon Suite. She's like, I've never heard of them. I'm like, okay, let's just go. So we go to see this band and, they're, and they, go, they go on tour again, you know. And so we go to see them and it was just like, they start playing and she's like, oh my God, I know this song. And then they played the next song. She's like, I know this song. And, and it just, this went on all night, every single song. She was like, I know this, I know this. I've heard of this. I can't believe this is them. Oh, I love this song. And it's just, I think it's one of those bands. If you were to go back, even as a millennial Yancey and listen to their music, you probably go, I've heard that. I've heard that. I've heard that. Um, the one that I really, really love is Feel It Again. So go on YouTube and look up Feel It Again. It's very, very 80s and stuff, but just the way it's written, the intro and the way it changes up the speed, you know, after about the second or third verse, ah, it is, these guys were good. And I don't understand why they were not one of the biggest bands out of the 80s. They should have been. They had the 80s sound down pat, great songs, and they just never broke through to the mainstream. So my number two, Honeymoon Suite, on to your number one. 
Let me ask you a question real quick yes. about that. Yeah. Um, so with this honeymoon suite, so yes. Yes. it sounds like they were, you know, like they were a talented band. They had oh, a lot of creative God, songs. They, were they good. had catchy. T- so why, why do you think there is a disconnect with some bands like that where, you know, there are certain bands where like they're say they're a one hit wonder or the, the band is imploding and like they, they can't stand each other or they have substance abuse problems or the creative juices that was there on their debut album just like completely fades away so like they they never reach their full potential or they never really have that much potential what do you think it is like with a band like that that is legitimately talented or like the pixies you know somebody who always puts out quality work but just never really gets that what why do you think that is like who gets to decide who is the arbiter of like the bands that make it and the bands that don't i don't know if it just wasn't um if it just wasn't uh sort of promoted enough in in the states they started out out you know sort of promising enough um i think that even one of their songs was even featured in miami vice if i'm not mistaken and you remember the, yeah. the show from the That's 80s? Cool. So, like, they were that, and then they did, like I said, the, the Lethal Weapons song. Like, it would seem like, oh, these guys are going to just burst through. And they came out with this album called Racing After Midnight. And I remember it was in 88, and I loved it. There's a song on there called Love Changes Everything. Right from the opening, they do these harmonics on the guitar, and then they just go into this, like, kind of descending kind of guitar riff. And it's just so good and so catchy. And it's like... Wow. And when that came out, I was just blown away by it. And I remember even all my friends at the time were like, well, I don't know. I don't really like it. I, I just, I don't know. I didn't, and it just, it wasn't promoted enough in this. I thought they were going to take off and it just didn't get promoted enough in the States or something. And it just, it it did chart in Canada, that, that, that album racing after midnight, but didn't, didn't go anywhere in the States. And then, you know, they kind of, nothing else really, really happened after that. You know, they just, they're still touring. Hmm. They're still making a couple of new songs here and there, but they're mostly out playing a lot of their old stuff. I just, I don't know. I really like them. I don't, maybe they just, people just felt that they were too Canadian. Yes, I mean, they were from Niagara Falls. So that's why they call themselves Honeymoon Suite because, you know, everyone goes to Niagara Falls to get married, right? And so, you know, there's Honeymoon Suite. And I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Right from their first stuff, I mean, they started out with New Girl Now and I don't know why this stuff didn't take off, but if if you listen to some of their songs, like I'm sure you'd know it. I'm sure if you listen to New Girl now on YouTube and especially feel it again, you'd be like, "Yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah, I know those guys." But mm. they just they never took off for whatever reason. I thought they should have been huge, but fair enough. Okay, yeah. um, is it okay if I throw in some honorable mentions very quickly? Oh, of course. Yeah, go ahead. I'd love to know. Uh, so these are these are some bands that have been around for a little while. Um, their body of work, they're consistently solid. I listen to every single album. Um, you, you just don't see a drop off. You don't see them kind of just mailing it in just for the sake of, hey, we're a notable band and we could sell some albums. Let's just slap together an album. I've, I've never experienced that with any of these bands. So um, these are also kind of coincidentally like a lot of my top 20, top 15 to 20 favorite bands. So I'll just rattle them off very quickly. One is Canadian, Chris, Broken Social Scene. I'm surprised you didn't mention them. They're probably the greatest like collective of Canadian musicians, like from, you know, from Feist and Metric and just all kinds of bands. And they're all Canadian. Um, are you familiar with their work at all? Broken not, Social Scene? Not really, no. Wow. I... Uh, we need to do a whole podcast on just that, but I know we're running long, so I'll skip over that. But Broken Social Scene's amazing. Uh, Converge, kind of like a hardcore metal band, absolutely amazing. Animal Collective, M83, Spoon, one of my favorite bands, Deer Hunter, Yola Tango, My Morning Jacket. Um, those are all, like I said, uh, I should probably throw in TV on the radio too. There's so many bands that I want to talk about, but um, all these bands, guys, like don't just find one band that has like a couple good songs or has one really good album to to consider somebody to be the, one of the best bands of all time or the most underappreciated or like flying under the radar bands. Like look at the bands that have been doing it for 15, 20 years and every single album, there's never that drop off where you can put their whole, you can go to the artists on whatever app you use and you can shuffle their whole library and you can listen to every single song and not feel the need to skip it. That's all these bands for me. So um, if you guys get a chance, go back and look at them. Um, so no, number, number one for me is uh, maybe my favorite band of all time. Um, it's definitely on the Mount Rushmore. It's in discussion. Um, they came out with what I consider to be quite possibly the greatest album of all time in OK Computer. And uh, it's Radiohead, the English rock band from Abingdon, Oxfordshire, England. Uh, they were formed in 1985. And Radiohead, you know, they're a big band. They're still touring. Um, their last album, uh, A Moon Shaped Pool, it didn't necessarily, you know, just blow up the charts. Um, actually, 
very few of their albums have. I think they have one number one album in the history of the band. Um, whenever they first came out with Pablo Honey, uh, that was the album that had Creep on it. Creep was their number one song, and it peaked at number 34 in the Billboard charts. So it was never really like, you know, this groundbreaking single. Um, it actually only made the Billboard charts a year after it was released. Um, Nude was their second favorite, or second most popular. High and Dry was their third. That peaked at 78. This is a band that despite, you know, uh, at this point, decades of the most consistently solid music where they have switched up their sound so many times, like they kind of did like the Dylan does electric where, you know, Pablo Honey was very acoustic and lots of, uh, you know, stringed instruments and just like this really, um, I don't want to say like nature, but like, like a very natural sound, like a very acoustic-y, um, almost like singer-songwriter folk type music almost and they completely switch that up with you know other releases like the Benz and OK Computer um, this is probably the greatest band of all time and I don't say that lightly Chris um, I, I can always go back to any album on their entire discography and I think it's a masterpiece there's a couple songs in there on every single album that are so like spellbounding and beautiful and haunting and um, no two albums sound the same no two songs sound the same they write all the stuff themselves they produce the things themselves uh, they they record in really interesting locations like uh, St. Catherine's Court and cathedrals and um I, I just can't say enough about this, like Paranoid Android and Karma Police, and uh, there's just so many songs. They've never really been that big of a band um, over here in the United States, I don't believe. Um, if I ask any of my friends, hey, do you listen to Radiohead? The answer is always no. Um, you know, like my parents definitely don't listen to them. None of my close friends really do. Um, it's just one of those things where like they've they've quietly flown under the radar and I don't understand why they're not bigger. One of the frustrations I have with music, I understand that it's like music is one of the the art forms where it can be incredibly public, but also like painfully personal, like your experience with music and like how you decide to, you know, like take in music and how you put it out there. Like I'm one of those people where I want to tell people what I like. I don't like to be a little hipster about it and keep the music to myself. I want other people to experience it. Um, Radiohead's that one band where I've always gotten so much pushback because it is such a esoteric, weird type of music. There's a lot of things that they're saying there that are really, really deep, a lot of cryptic lyrics, um, really dark instrumentation, lots of electronic sounds that people aren't really used to. And some people would even argue that some of their tracks aren't even music, which I obviously take umbrage with. But um, it's just such a neat band that I've always, <laughs> I've always hated that they weren't bigger. And I, I know that's... It's like a weird thing to say, again, a successful band like Radiohead, but never, ever got the respect that they were due. So that's my number one. Um, I, I could talk about them a lot more, and there's probably 15 bands here on my honorable mentions, Chris, but I'll kick it back to you and let you talk about yours. Okay, no, like that's a good one. Are you a fan of South Park? I love South Park, and I remember there was an episode called Scott Kennerman Must Die, and Radiohead was on there, and they had to con they could convince Radiohead to come to town to play this concert because mm -hmm. Scott Kennerman had cancer and all this stuff, but uh, that's where I remember them from so much but uh but anyway okay so my number one i okay so this one's going back a little bit further than gen x i'm gonna go back to the like late 60s early 70s this is a guy that came out and basically had two studio albums in 1970 and 71 and that was it and then he just disappeared but the thing was i cannot for the life of me figure out how he was not the biggest folk singer of the of the whole 60s you know 70s movement and that was rodriguez and i don't know if you've ever heard of him or not but in 2012 yancy they did a documentary and this documentary was called searching for sugarman and it was basically this idea of this guy of trying to find this guy rodriguez because he came out with these two albums he was so good if you listen to his music it's like i swear to god yancy you listen to the songs and you're like how is this how is he not the biggest folk singer of all time how is he not bigger than bob dylan how is he not bigger than everybody he is so good his diction in the songs his way of his, his way of, of singing them the the even just the melodies the lyrics are so good he does a song called i wonder and i swear every time i listen to this song i wonder i i wonder how this was not the biggest song of all time how, it encapsulates everything about the 60s like it, it encapsulates everything about the sexual revolution and anti-establishment and sort of the awakening of the you know youth you know in 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 the country 
I don't get it. But anyways, the interesting thing was in the the documentary Searching for Sugarman, the I guess the, the the crux of the movie is that he so he came out, had two albums and went away. But it turns out that you know he never found a following. He never got big in the United States. But one place that he did get big in was South Africa. For whatever reason, people in South Africa loved his music. They just they they felt he was like a god. They felt he was like Elvis. They like they just listened to him and they thought, well, he's the biggest you know, a musician of all time. Like, listen to him and listen how good he is. And they loved him. So anyway, somebody goes searching for him in this documentary and they try and find him. And lo and behold, they find him. He's like living in Detroit and he's like working for like the works department or something like, you know, doing jobs. And so they they, they find him and they tell him, hey, listen, you're huge in South Africa. They think you're a god there still. So they fly him to South Africa and they put on a concert. And he walks out on stage with his guitar to sing to this huge arena packed full of people in South Africa. And they give him a standing ovation for 10 minutes straight because they can't believe that it's him. They're just so in awe that Rodriguez is there. And so there was something about his music that that just really resonated with this one specific group of people. And I think a lot of it was because of apartheid and just because of the society there. It was incredibly repressive. I think that they latched onto his music as, like I mentioned, kind of a, um, you know, it embodied the sexual revolution. It embodied all those those things that the 60s were all about breaking free, you know, like having a freedom and and having a voice and being able to, to, you know, be counterculture and against the establishment and all this. And so he found a voice there. And like I say, the moment when he's in the in the documentary, when he walks on stage and gets an applause for 10 minutes, he's just blown away. He's like, I can't believe these people know who I am. And to this day, I will still, I cannot figure out how his song, I Wonder, is not the biggest song out of the 60s. I will never know. And I don't think, I don't know if anyone has an answer. Um, You know, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at C. McBride. We can have a conversation. But Rodriguez was, and I think maybe a lot of it just had to do with maybe there was like racism involved, maybe because the fact that he was, he was Spanish you know, he was from Central America. Oh, Rodriguez, you know, we're not going to promote him, you know, like we're going to promote Bob Dylan instead, you know. And yep. as a result, he just got left behind. And it's unfortunate because he's so good. It is so unbelievable. And it's like a revelation to listen to his music, to to just go, what happened? What happened here? How did this not, how, how did this not you know, become the biggest thing ever. It's just mind boggling. So for me, Rodriguez, I'd recommend anyone go to find Searching for Sugarman for 2012, the documentary, and look up uh, his song, I Wonder. You can probably find it on YouTube. You can definitely find it on iTunes and give it a listen. And, and I'm actually yep. I'm actually looking right now at the documentary, Chris. It mm-hmm. has an 8.2 out of 10 on IMDb and oh, Rotten it's so Tomatoes. Good. Its score is 94%. It's so, so this, good. It's so good. This man. looks like something I would I would I would get down for. So. You really got to give it a watch and and watch and it's just like I say it's to me it's the it's the absolute encapsulation of a band that should have been bigger. This guy should have been absolutely like packing arenas everywhere and people should look back on him and go, "Man, that guy was like one of the biggest things." in terms of the, the counterculture and the, the, the sexual revolution and the 60s. And he just wasn't, for whatever reason, for all those reasons, probably, like I say, not promoted by the studios, maybe racism, you know, whatever. It's just too bad because, man, oh, man, was he good. Man, was he good. So my number one, Rodriguez. So we made it. We did it. We made it through our, our list. Uh, uh, I thought there were some pretty good ones in there. I thought it was interesting that a lot of yours, I thought you'd be coming through with a lot of uh, millennial stuff, but I'm, I'm really impressed. You kind of went back to the 80s and... Picked out a lot of things there. So that was really cool. Anyway, time now to have some fun with Yancey. Okay, Yancey. So what I'm going to do is I've got some trivia questions for you. Sort of based on our, you know, our topic tonight was bands that should have been bigger than they were. So the reason I I, I felt that it was important that I asked the questions tonight, because you're much more of a music guy than I am. Wouldn't you agree? Like music's more your thing, right? I mean, that's that's debatable just because, I mean, you also play instruments and have been listening to music for as long as you've been alive. But I, I think if you had to wait, like which one we prefer more yet, yeah, music's definitely like my thing. Okay. So I got some questions for you on the topic. So are you ready to go? Let's do it. Okay. So, okay. So although this band amassed a huge cult following, you know, throughout, you know, a lot of their extensive touring that they did, um, they, they were an iconic band, but they never really broke through to the mainstream. Their only top 10 hit being 1987's Touch of Grey. Yancey, K 
can you name this iconic touring band that never really broke through to the mainstream? Touch of Grey. Yep. Can you can you sing a line of it for me? Um, must be getting early. Clocks are running late. Oh, yeah, it's the Grateful Dead. It's the Grateful Dead. There you go. Okay, good. Okay. So, uh, American Idol. And, and by the way, I, I, I want to just touch base on something because you mentioned radio, um, radio heads too. Uh, Creep, that song Creep that they did. I've, I've heard many people on American Idol sing that song. So, it's, you know, it's, it's, it is what it is. Anyway, but yep. American Idol, you know, this iconic talent, you know, TV show that, you know, went on and it produced all these mega stars like, you know, Kelly Clarkson and Carrie Underwood and all the rest of them. But the thing was, Yancey, the show also produced its fair share of duds. Like, lead wise, anyone? But of all the duds that that show has produced as winners, one of them stands head and shoulders below the rest, I guess I would say, with only 40,000 copies sold. This female American Idol winner from season 12 is the lowest grossing Idol winner in the history of the show. Can you name her? Season 12? Who was still watching it at season 12? <laughs> oh, nobody, apparently. Um, I have no idea, Chris. <laughs> It's Candace Glover. She beat out such luminaries as Burnell Taylor and Curtis Finch Jr. So not exactly a, a high watermark for the show season 12, apparently. OK, so I've got a British indie rock band for you. And, and it's kind of in your in your uh, in your era. OK, they were formed in 2002. OK, and their original lineup, they had um, Alex uh, Capranos, uh, Nick McCarthy, Bob Hardy, Paul Thompson. And in 2003, the band's first two singles came out, Darts of Pleasure and Take Me Out. Although they had a devoted following, they never broke through to the mainstream. Can you name this band, Yancey? Um, as soon as you say this, it's going to like make me really mad, but no, I cannot. It's Franz Ferdinand. Franz Ferdinand. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Damn it. Okay, the Beatles, Yancey, the biggest band of all time, without question. There's no question. They're the biggest, right? But uh, after he left the Beatles, Paul McCartney also found success with his own band, Wings, right? Now, you know, nowhere near the Beatles' 17 number one hits. Wings did achieve six number one hits of their own. Yancey, can you name any one of Wings' number one singles? Um... <laughs> uh... I cannot, Chris. Okay. There was Silly Love Songs was number one for five weeks in 76. Coming Up okay. was number one for three weeks in 80. My Love uh, was on the top of the charts for four weeks in 73. Band on the Run, Listen to What the Man Said, and With a Little Love, all made number one. Oh, well. They, they, weren't, they, didn't, they weren't as big, I guess, as they should have been, right? Uh, speaking of the Beatles, Yancey, John Lennon's son, Julian Lennon, he released several singles of his own back in the mid-80s and obviously never achieved the success of his late father. But two of the singles hit the top 10 hot um, billboard charts. Okay, Yancey, can you name either one of Julian Lennon's top 10 singles? I cannot. <laughs> oh, number five was Too Late for Goodbyes and Volote hit number nine, both in 1985. Okay, Julian Lennon deserved better. He, he did, and, and actually, and those two songs were really, really good, actually, and they really sounded a lot like John Lennon. It was like, man, this kid sounds like his dad. Like he, his his music style, you know, the melody and stuff, really, really sounded like Lennon. Okay, uh, the last one I got for you: this rock band never quite attained success in the United States, but after twenty years together, their single, "Sex Farm." hit the charts in Japan, causing them to reform and hit the road on a tour of Japan. Can you name this fictitious rock band? <laughs> I know this because, of course, we, we did a, an entire show and it's, it's Spinal Tap. <laughs> and, you know, you would yes. not have... I just would like to point out, you would not have been able to answer that question before you started co-hosting this podcast. So congratulations. That's just awesome. It feels great. Honestly, just knowing that one piece of trivia makes this whole thing worth it. 70 something episodes in. <laughs> exactly. it, I finally I finally feel vindicated in my exactly. decision to do the podcast. Exactly. Two years of work just for that. It's all worth it. Right. So normally this is the time of the, of the show at the end. Now, I, I, um, you would give me a, a movie to watch from the millennial generation and then I would watch it and come back next week. And then I would give you a movie from my generation. We go back and forth as we do this week. I want to turn things on its head a little bit. OK, so instead of the date now you nominating a millennial film for me to watch, 
I'm going to flip things around. And what I'd like to do, Yancey, is I'm going to nominate a millennial film for you to watch. Okay? It's a millennial film that you have not seen. And I think it's okay. one that you need to see. So you have you 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 obviously like space movies and things like that. You know, we've gone into that before in the past. But another thing about you, I don't know if our listeners know, but you're like a big fan of like space and like you know the space time continuum and and like you know the planets and all that kind of stuff and astrophysics and things like that. Correct. This is correct. Yes, you love all that kind of stuff. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to take that and I'd like to spin it and put a human spin on that for you. And I want you to go and I want you to watch the 2004 movie, The Theory of Everything. Okay? It's a movie that's about Stephen Hawking. And Stephen Hawking embodies all those things, astrophysics and space-time continuum. But it, it puts a human spin on it because it's a story about him. Okay? It's a phenomenal film. I think I'd like you to watch it. Come back next week and let's talk about it. Are you up for the challenge, my friend? A millennial film that I nominate for you. I'm I'm 100% about this life, Chris. All right. So you're going to watch The Theory of Everything, and uh, next week we'll come back and we'll discuss that. So we'll do that. Um, and if you would like to reach out to us on Twitter, you can, at C. McBrien or at Yancey Eaton, or you can head over to popgoesyourworld.com. All of our contact information is there. You can reach out to us there as well. Um, until next week, when we get back and we talk about The Theory of Everything, this is Chris McBrien for Yancey Eaton saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thank you for listening to the Pop Goes Your World podcast. Continue the conversation on Twitter at C. McBrien or at Yancey Eaton. Please consider leaving a review for the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. Music.